Welcome to Education Matters with the Matsuboro School District Superintendent, Dr. Randy Trainey, a podcast to look inside important education matters here in the Matsu. Welcome to Education Matters with Dr. Randy Trainey. This is Jillian Morrissey. I'm the Public Information Officer with the Matsuboro School District. And we're here to talk about it's back to school time. On Wednesday, August 19th, grades 1 through 12 start here in the Matsuboro School District. Our pre-K starts the following week. And we know that this year is going to look a lot different for students and for families. And so I have Dr. Randy Trainey, our superintendent here, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, what school's going to look like. So, um, Dr. Trainey, let's start with elementary students. What's it going to look like for our K-5 students beginning this year? Well, you're right. It is back to school time, and things will look entirely different here in the Matsu and across our state and the country. Specifically here at Mass- Matsu, some of the changes that we're looking at include students are going to eat lunch in their classroom. We're going to try to keep that consistent across the district as much as possible. We'll be cohorting within the classrooms. So if there were, say, 20 kids in the classroom, we'll try to separate the classroom into maybe four quadrants of five, and those five kids would stay in their area within the classroom. In case we need to do any contact tracing, the health officials are telling us that that kind of pre-planning will make their job and our job easier and make it so we can keep school open longer for students. Obviously, we won't be switching rooms for specials. We're going to have one-way direction in hallways as much as possible. There'll be new routines for using the restrooms, using the fountains. Routines are going to be one of the things that kids will be being taught right at the very beginning. These are going to be new COVID smart routines that we're going to try to teach our younger students you know, proper hygiene, proper hand washing, mask wearing, how to wear your mask for all of our students in grades three and up. Our younger students in grades K-2, we're going to encourage masks, but the older students, we're going to, you know, we have a mask mandate. And, And we've got that information from our health partners. They've told us pretty unequivocally that if we want to keep schools open, that's the one mitigation That's the single one mitigation technique that we can use to keep the doors open. Masks, as long as I'm talking about them, they're a, uh, you know, lots of people have opinions about masks. And I've been trying to think about what's the common shared value that we can all get behind. And I've thought of an example from my past. You know, I grew up in Cordova and like many places in Alaska, I think the entire state, as far as I know, basketball is, you know, pretty much king especially in the smaller places where we can't have football teams. And we're very proud of our gym there, but you could come into the gym without your shoes on. And then when I taught out in the bush, when I taught out in Lake and Penn, we'd go to different villages, say New Stuyahawk or Manakotak or Dillingham. And when you get to those places, the expectation was that you would take your shoes off. Everybody took their shoes off. I have this phobia of stubbing my toes I've broken my toes a couple times (laughs) with my shoes off. So I really hate taking my shoes off. But Alaskans were polite to each other. And in those areas, like in in that part of the state, like just getting somebody to refinish your floor is super costly and hard. So they would try to keep their shared space as clean as possible. That's the analogy for me with masks. Some of us don't like taking our shoes off. Some of us are fine with it. Some of us don't like wearing masks. Some of us are fine with it. But in our shared spaces, we're trying to keep it as clean as possible. 
So I think of masks wearing as an opportunity for, for us to practice being polite Alaskans because we all, all are polite. That's great. Thank you for that. And with our, like you were saying, with elementary, so, you know, we'll have our K-2 students that, you know, it's, it's recommended and we can provide those first uh, students that uh, would like to wear them. But it's the grades three and five that it will be required and likewise for all staff. But let's, let's talk about secondary with that. So they will all be required to wear masks. What else is it going to look like for our secondary students going back to school? Yeah. So secondary students, I'm sure folks have heard that we've changed how the week looks for them. That's probably the biggest change. They're going to be going to school four days a week for the students who opt for in-person brick-and-mortar learning. They'll, they'll only be going to school for four weeks. That reduces right off the bat the number of human-human interactions by 20% throughout a week. We also are only going to do three periods a day rather than seven. So that's a further reduction on the number of interactions you have with other people throughout the day. It's very easy to cohort in elementary schools. You know, predominantly kids have one main teacher. Right. And, and within that room, you can cohort within that room. It's much harder in the secondary schools. So this was a way to make it easier for us to approach that cohorting mitigation that they say is so valuable. It, it just simply reduces the number of human-human interactions throughout the week. Um, we also have reduced the total number of courses that a student takes in a year from seven to six. So all of those, all of that that I've described w- with regard to schedule has the same, the same goal. We want to try to keep in-person learning open for as long as possible for all the students who want it. So week one, the students would go periods one, two, three, Monday through Thursday. And then the next week, they would have periods four, five, and six. Yep, and that's right. And on Fridays... They'll be working from home remotely on on work that they have been assigned for that week. Uh, Our intention is for work not to carry over from week to week. We're trying to make it easier based on feedback we got from last spring that a, a student, rather than focusing on seven or even six periods at a time, they're only focusing on three periods at a time. So week one, you do periods one, two, and three, including working on it on Friday. Week two, you do periods four, five, and six, including working on those on Friday. I want to circle back to masks. You know, we talk about masks um, and students wearing it. The expectation is not that students will wear masks, you know, every single second that they're in school. That's just not reasonable. Consistent with CDC guidelines, if you are in a situation in your room where you can be properly socially distanced and you're involved in an activity that um, is not a risky activity with regard to passing COVID from one person to another, it's acceptable to have a mask break for the entire room. So imagine that, imagine that you have 20 students in your room. You have them cohorted uh, in you know, one-fourth sections of the room, and you're doing silent sustained reading. That's the perfect time. If those students are more than six feet apart, that's the perfect time for the class to have a mask break. So we're going to be trying to institute those kinds of class, class-wide class mask breaks throughout the day. Teachers, of course, are the experts and are going to be able to judge, you know, the activities that they're involved in and is that appropriate. And then on top of that, students can ask for a mask break whenever they want. We've all been wearing masks around, and you know that sometimes you just need a break from that mask. Here, I'll step outside my office, or if there's nobody in my office and I'm socially distanced, I'll take my mask off. And... We want, to, we want to offer students that same flexibility throughout the day. 
That's great to hear. I want to go, so we, we're talking about the at-school students, but school is also starting for the students that have selected or their families have selected the opt-in at-home learning option. What's it going to look like this year? This is one that is new to us at, in the Matsu. We've, we have had correspondent schools like Matsu Central and Twinley Bridge, but this is, this is a new model for us. Yep, this is a new model. You know, one of the things that I've said several times is that throughout this whole, this whole crisis that the world is suffering through and we're going through, it's an opportunity for us to embrace grace and flexibility and this is one of the spots where we can point to us trying to be flexible. Parents and families are coming a wide spectrum of where their comfort level is with regard to school. And so we've tried to provide three different options for learning this year. Our main intent is to try to keep families engaged and connected with the Matsu Borough School District and try to offer solutions for families that they're comfortable with. So we have brick and mortar so traditional, the way I've described it to you, with enhanced mitigation. Uh, right now, about 70% of the families in Matsu are choosing that option. So we're trying to provide that flexibility for the people who are still comfortable coming into school. Others are not comfortable coming into school, so we have two different versions of that. One we're calling at-home learning, and we'll be using Apex and uh, a a piece of technology that was formerly known as Florida Virtual School and then Alaska Virtual School, and now we're calling it Matsu Virtual School, so just to confuse people. (laughs) The difference between that and, say, traditional homeschooling or correspondence is that the students who choose at-home learning, they're going to be doing that under the direction of a Matsu Borough School District teacher. So a family may not be comfortable sending their student to school, but they also may not be comfortable trying to be the main teacher at the home. Right. So we're trying to meet families where they're at. And then if you are one of those families who doesn't want to send your student to school and you feel comfortable being one of the main people to provide instruction in the home, then we have Matsu Central, so a more traditional correspondent school. Excellent. So one of the big things that was just released this week specifically was our school site mitigation plans. And our families have been waiting for this. Uh, they, there was a lot of excitement around this because that was when people had started to understand nationwide, all school districts were looking at similar models. Um, and we kept pointing to the time that, you know, once we start to be able to really look at each individual school so that families can imagine what it's going to be like for their student in that space I was wondering if you could talk about those school mitigation plans. Yeah, I'll give you a a breakdown on how we've arrived where we are. And then I want to try to paint the picture about what folks' expectations should be regarding those plans. We've been working here in the district on our mitigation plan throughout the entire summer. Since since my first day visiting Matsu, there were folks working on the, the foundational mitigation plan for the district. That foundation was turned into the state and it was approved and met all of the standards that they have been advising districts to make sure we include in our mitigation plan. And then we turn that over to each school district because there's portions for a district like ours with many schools, with more than 40 schools, you need to tailor the plan for each individual site. So staff at each site have worked to tailor their mitigation plan to their particular buildings, their particular range, age range of students, their particular staff. And those have all been 
uh, completed, and they're available. They're available to view. I'm trying to look on my. You may have it memorized. Matt. Oh, I've got. Yeah, there, there it is. www.matsuk12.us/slash/covid. Yep. I'll say it one more time. www.matsuk12.us/slash/covid. If you click there, you can see every single school's mitigation plan. There's going to be lots of similarities because we have this base foundation plan that was established by the district, and then each school has made changes to fit their site. The reason you want to know that website is because these plans are not static documents. This week alone, we've received guidance from our partners in health from DHSS uh, that has changed everybody's mitigation plans across the entire state. They, they, they had some time frames that have changed literally three times for what to do if a student uh, tests positive for COVID or is next to somebody that has a close contact with a known COVID case. And so all of the plans have been updated all of ours has, and everybody else in the state will update their plans. And this is another example of that grace and flexibility. We hope folks will give us the grace and all the educators across the state grace to know that these things are going to change and that everybody can be flexible and see that um, when we make changes, we're doing it because it's based on the best evidence that we can get from our partners in in the health department. I want to talk, since you're talking about partners, I want to talk a little bit more about partnerships that we have with public health. And we have been talking about the health advisory team. And so now that we're getting ready to start school, uh, we know that one of the big pieces of this year is trying to keep schools open. And so the health advisory team, I know, is an important piece of that puzzle. Can you talk us through who the health advisory team is what is the process that they will be using to make decisions about uh, schools opening or, I should say, school facilities, school buildings closing, and where, where that information will be placed? Yeah. The, the health advisory team is part of our district-wide mitigation plan. And the health advisory team is composed of staff members from the district. So, for instance, I'm on it. And then health partners from both our local area, so Matsu Community Health, and then also state-level partners. And we will meet every single day. We have a standing meeting, and then uh, every single day uh, in the afternoon to review what has happened that day. We have a large meeting where we invite more partners on Thursdays to review higher-level state data and borough-level data. And based on what that team decides each day, we will update the risk level of every school in the state. I'm sorry. We won't do every school in the state. We'll do every school in the borough. <laughs> just the 47 that yeah, we have. Just our yes. 47. Other, right. other districts will be doing the same exact thing. And so lots of information is going to go into the decision that this team is going to make each day. There's no single metric that's going to decide if a school or even a borough is open or not. And so I'll give you some of the examples of the kinds of data that that team is going to look at each day. There is the borough-wide operational zone that we get from the state. And, you know, they, they have metrics that they use to decide what the risk level is for the entire area. And then we will look at a 14-day case count for the borough. And as much as we can, we're going to drill down on that for the 14-day case count 
for an area within our borough. So the, the borough may have a 14-day case count, but maybe there hasn't been a case anywhere near Talkeetna, and we can get some of that data. So the 14-day case count for the borough could be different than the 14-day case count for Talkeetna. Similarly, we will look at the seven-day case count, and we're going to look at the trends of those. Is the case count going up? Is it flat? Is it going down? Another piece of data that we're going to, that you'll see we can update daily is student absenteeism. We're encouraging families to make sure that if their students show any symptoms of COVID, that they stay home. That's one of the, mitigate, that's one of the prime mitigation strategies we all need to embrace and be a, a community and form community partnerships so we can keep schools open. Based on that absentee rate, that will help inform our decision down at the granular level about schools, like individual schools. Our health partners tell us that we may get an indication that something is happening long before they have actually got any results of COVID tests back. So we'll be reviewing both student absenteeism and staff absenteeism for the same reason on a daily, on a daily basis. Then, then there'll be higher level data that we collect and we'll get that from our partners in community health about student medical exclusion. So students who've actually tested positive or been in contact with a known positive case. That data actually will lag like our absentee data. Beyond that, you know, we're able to drill down and look at weekly summaries of cases across the valley and to see like how many cases were in each area. And one of, maybe one of the last parts of uh, the data that we're going to look at is the test positivity rate. One of the standards that they talk about is a test positivity rate of 5%. That's kind of one of the benchmarks. When you get above a test positivity rate of 5%, you should be more concerned. And the Valley has been well below that throughout this entire time. One caveat on that, your test positivity rate, that's only a valuable metric if you're doing enough testing. If you're only testing the people that you already have a pretty good suspicion have COVID, your test positivity rate is going to be higher. But th that's the kind of information we need from our partners in community health. And they will tell us, like, we still have plenty of tests. We're testing lots of people. So we have the validity of this data is, is high at this time. Currently, the last time I looked, like, the test positivity rate was about 35 3.6%. And as Dr. Traney said, the website earlier, it's going to be on the same spreadsheet as the mitigation plans. And so it'll be on matsuk12.us slash COVID. We'll have those operational risk levels available there for all families to see. And we will be updating that daily. So feel free to visit the website on a daily basis and see, see where we are at. And I just wanted to finish with one last question. So okay. this is... This is a different year for K-12 education, and here, here you are, you're our new superintendent. I just wanted to hear some of your thoughts about taking the helmet this time. <laughs> I've said things like, you don't ever waste a good crisis. Well, this is a good one. <laughs> this is the biggest one that I think any of us have ever faced. One of, you know, I've, I mentioned this word before already, one of the benefits, and some people like, how can you have a benefit in a time like this? It is all of us challenging ourselves to grant each other the, the grace that we should give people in a time like this and embrace being more flexible. We know that families are facing all kinds of challenges right now. You know, you can just get right down to those, 
those base needs. So many people across our country have lost their jobs. That is a huge challenge for families. And then we're all being forced into this technology time period where we're doing Zooms all the time. That's a challenge. There's a challenge associated with the uncertainty of the future. You know, typically families can expect that when school starts in August, you know, they know where their kid is going to be every day for the rest of the year. The environment right now is that we we have no certainty that any particular school will be open for the entire year. In fact, I'm fairly certain that some of them will be closed throughout the year. We hope not, but that's the probability, and that pr- that produces anxiety for students. That produces anxieties for families. So throughout that staff here, we're trying to make sure that we are flexible and grant grace to all the challenges that families are facing across the valley. We want to meet people where they're at and try to give options, keep everyone engaged and connected to our district. Thanks, Dr. Traney. We appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks. Thanks.